Welcome to New Black City. My name is Sheena Collier, founder and CEO of the Collier Connection, a home for content, programming, and spaces that changes the way that Black people experience Boston. Hi, well, I'm sorry, I'm still sharing on Facebook. My name is Dominique Aubrey, and I'm the founder and CEO of the Black Women's Guide. Um, for those who are new to the Black Women's Guide, we are a research and innovation lab. Um, we conduct research um, on the nature of the issues that Black women face. Um, and use that to inform how we think about solutions uh, that affect our communities. So we're really focused on supporting the economic viability of Black communities and sustaining the Black middle class through helping the number of Black women uh, in the country earn over $100,000 a year. So that's what our work is all about. All right. That's important work. Um, so you're listening to episode two whoop, whoop, of New Black City. Uh, it's a live show and podcast that Dom and I created to highlight Black millennials across the country who are creating new ways to build community and capital. Hopefully you caught our first show two weeks ago. Uh, we had a great conversation with Bianca Jackson, who's the founder of Brick Rose Exchange. Uh, we talked a lot about building our own physical spaces as a response to gentrification. Um, we learned the ups and downs of having a live show, and we also released our podcast version. So now we're officially on the map. Um, we're on Spotify. I was super excited. I saw our logo, heard our voices. Um, I texted Dom um, talking about how dope we are. <laughs> um, and I actually thought I wouldn't like the sound of my voice, but I was pretty impressed with myself um, and with Dom and Bianca. And so, um, yeah, so you can find our first episode there. And again, um, we love for you to join us live. And you can also go back and listen to us. Um, and Dom's going to let you know where you can find us. Sure, yeah. Um, and so... Uh Oh, my mic, everybody. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm getting myself together here. It's like between the mic and my face. It's like, I don't know what I'm going to get, but we'll see. Um, so just to remind you all, um, in terms of how you can kind of connect with, with us uh, at New Black City, um, so you can always tune in um, and share with others and watch the show live or also watch the podcast anytime. So for our live show, we do it through Facebook Live um, at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, it's bi-monthly on Wednesdays, uh, and so we will always post and share when we're going live so folks know they can queue into that and join us um, on Facebook Live. Um, and if for some reason you don't have Facebook Live or Facebook and you don't want to watch us, uh, you can also stream it on Boston Free Radio. Um, if you're a Bostonite, feel free. You can just go online and look up Boston Free Radio, and our show will be there. And you can also download that as an app as well if you're interested in other programs that they have, which is pretty awesome. You can join Boston Free Radio there. Um, you can also follow us on social so we're on Instagram at newblackcity.co. That's newblackcity.co. Um, and that will also let you know when the podcast goes live. So we have a live show every other week. And then on the off weeks, we play the rerun on Boston Free Radio. But you can also get the podcast um, really on Spotify. That's really where we promote the podcast. But you also can listen to us on Anchor, Google Podcast, um, Breaker, Pocket Cast, oh Radio Public, um, and of course, Boston Free Radio. So there's a lot of places you can find us. I know some folks have asked if we have um, iTunes. iTunes. Mm -hmm. And so we're using Anchor as a as our core platform, which redistributes to these other platforms. So we are going to focus using Spotify. Over time, though, we hope to be also on iTunes and other things as well. So just know that we're working on building up the number of places that we can be um, for the podcast. But right now, we're on a pretty good list, Spotify, right, Anchor, right. and Podcast. So basically, if you have an iPhone, you need to download one of these other sites. Yeah, pretty okay. much for <laughs> right now. Um, you can also send us your comments and questions uh, basically through Facebook Live as we're having the interview. 
and also on Instagram as well. So, um, you know, are, are you trying Instagram live right now? Yeah, I'm doing it on my Kaya Connection account. So, okay. um, so yeah, so we'll eventually get to the point where we can stream clear as well. But um, so if you're on Instagram, you can definitely put comments there. Uh, Facebook, we have a kind of a big screen in front of us, so it helps if you're putting comments on Facebook live. But if you feel free to share comments through Instagram, um, and Sheena will be checking that as well. All right. So we're going to jump in. We're going to get into tonight's show. Um, if just as a, as a reminder, you know, really the point of us doing this is around highlighting these stories from around the country of Black folks that are finding new ways to, to organize, to build, to create community, um, to build wealth. And so tonight's topic is around how data informs our social narratives. Uh, so how many people out there love data? Raise your hands. All right. Dom loves data. <laughs> Uh, for many of us, we were introduced to the concept of data in a very boring way that doesn't seem like it has anything to do with our lives. So we need to know data to pass a test. We use it to evaluate programs that we run. However, uh, when I was doing community organizing, I learned two things about data. One, data is king um, as far as who gets what resources. And number two, data just means information. Um, it's a scary word. It's one of those four letter words, but really it just means information. And we need information to understand and tell our stories. Um, stories are what drive us to action. Stories are a lot of the time what gives us access to resources. So that's why it's important for us to be well informed. It's important for us to question whose data or whose narratives are being told and from whose perspective and to examine how data, stories, narratives impact our access to opportunity. So we thought it was um, dope for us to have um, our guest who we're going to have tonight, Sherelle Dorsey, who is using data to create community in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, it's interesting. I, I had a conversation with Sherelle months ago, even um, before doing the show, and we were talking about kind of like why people go to um, our care about Charlotte. And all I could at that time think about was um, the CIAA um, tournament that happens there every year. Um, but turns out Charlotte actually has a really burgeoning tech community and uh, particularly black tech community. And so um, Sherelle has find some, found some interesting ways to use data to, to pour resources into the black tech community. And well, um, I have a couple of thoughts on that as well. But in the interim, actually, I was like, do you want to ping her? I think she tried to call. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But um, if you want to. Um, so uh, I think as she's joining in, but really we're talking a lot about data today. And I think uh, Sherelle will share a lot about um, how data influences um, the work that she's doing. I think the big question for us as a community is how are we leveraging data to uh, tell stories that are positive and support our narratives that we want to be told about us? And how is misinformation or lack of information impacting our ability to access opportunity? Mm. Um, I think is a huge question um, that we have. Data doesn't solve everything, but it, do, it does address a couple of core issues that I think um, that can help us uh, find common language and narrative amongst ourselves around what's the truth for us as Black people and Black millennials um, as we try to build capital in our city. So, All right, Sherelle, are you there? I'm here. There she is. There we go. Hi, Sherelle. Hey, everyone. Good How's evening. it going? Good. How are I'm you? so glad. I'm good. I'm good. I'm trying to join the Facebook Live. I, I can see you all, just not sure how to connect here. Okay. Yeah, there's a way to do like multicaster broadcasting, and I'm just going to try and do it real quick. Okay. But well, um, well, we'll start chatting in the meantime. Yeah. 
So, Cheryl, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being our second guest on New Black City. Um, thank you for the invitation. Yeah, and again, for those of you that are listening, especially if you're on Facebook Live, reminder, reminders to send your comments and questions through Facebook. Um, I'm actually going to ask folks, there are a couple of folks who are on my Instagram Live, if you can go over to Facebook Live, because uh, then you'll be able to actually hear Cheryl. Um because at this point, it's going to seem like a one-sided conversation. So um, I'm going to I'm going to get off of Instagram Live for now. Again, on Facebook, it's New Black City or NewBlackCity.co. You can find us there. Um, so, Sherelle, first question. Um, we were just, before you got on, talking a little bit with folks about the importance of data and, and narratives and whose data is being shared. Um, so when it comes to your work around sharing data, you've used the term data gap. Um, our knowledge gap um, and creating pathways for people of color, what keeps you up at night? Just that. Um, just that the narratives are not complete. And, um, and not that they're just not complete, that our work towards trying to close some of those gaps is sort of being talked about, but not explored on a larger scale. And so what I mean by that is you sort of have all of these siloed, institutions and I think even independent researchers that are trying to gather um, data and, and stories and research around what's happening in terms of innovation and communities outside of very, you know, well-resourced communities. And the challenge with that is, again, you know, when we don't have um, full information or complete information, we make ongoing assumptions. We use language in a derogatory sense. And so, um, what keeps me up at night is this idea that um, innovation is restricted to only one group of people. Um, what keeps me up at night is that we're constantly having the exact same conversations generation after generation, mm. and we haven't found a silver bullet. Um, and what also keeps me up at night is that we understand how disparity works. We know that it's unfair, right. and we continue to kind of pretend as though we don't have a solution. Um, the, the challenge is that, again, it, it is about power structure, yeah. right? It's not that we don't have a, a solution. It's just that we aren't willing to give up the comfortability of oppression. Mm. Um, and so I, I think that those are the things that, um, you know, I have really fashioned my work um, around, particularly as it relates to, um, you know, building the businesses and things that I that I um, am doing um, in the world and also just trying to bring to light that, listen, these narratives are not complete. Um, you know, how do we get to them, them to completion? How do we challenge our assumptions? And then how do we build from there? Um, and, and maybe even how do we build without permission? That's spot on. Actually, before we get too deep into the conversation, I want to do something really technical right now, Sherelle. <laughs> if you yeah. mind, could you comment on the Facebook uh, on the live? And I think from there, I can invite you into the chat. Perfect. Um, I just commented. There you go. Let's see. Let's see if Facebook is all it has up to be. <laughs> it works the way Alrighty. All right. She's trying to invite you in just on the video part as well. Just trying to bring You can turn off your sound on the Facebook page. Yeah, no. Great. Let's see. I have spent some time um, you know, reading some articles that he'd written and, and been in, and I saw in the Charlotte Observer, he was stated this um, this idea that our silos will be our downfall. 
and that we must get serious about reducing inefficiencies by evaluating how knowledge sharing happens in our city. Um, can you just talk a little bit about how you think we should do this? Like, how should we go about kind of this issue of, you know, breaking down these silos? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, you know, I, I don't really prefer to have all of the answers. I know, particularly in a mid-sized market where Charlotte is an emerging city and environment, um, one of the one of the great things about being in a mid-sized market is that you have the advantage of being new and fresh and being able to invent things um, for the first time. Is everything going okay? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, so when I say to break down those silos and reduce the efficiencies, um, it really comes through understanding what assets we have access to, um, quickly identifying where there are disparities, and then performing the right task in order to get to that next step and continuing to, to keep moving forward. One of the challenges that I have in Charlotte around, again, this idea of narrative is we've heard so much about us being on the bottom total pole for economic mobility. So in Mecklenburg County, if you're born poor in the county, you are more than likely to stay poor, which is a pretty startling um, and uh, disparaging statistic, um, you know, for the, for the county, uh, for, for Charlotte, Mecklenburg County. What you won't hear as part of that narrative is, you know, Charlotte uh, being a majority, um, being a majority black city, um, and in a Latinx city as well. What you won't hear a part of that narrative is, you know, that we do have, you know, several, um, black and brown people graduating from STEM programs. The challenge is that they leave, right? Mm -hmm. They leave, they go to different cities for different kinds of jobs. And so you kind of have this drain this drainage, but for those who have stuck around and those who are, tra who are uh, transitioning to the city, there's not a lot of conversation on who they are, what they represent, what they value, and I think that's, that's, that's a myth for us. Um, that's also why Black Tech Charlotte exists, is how do we identify these opportunities, especially as the city grows. We recently um, had Avid Exchange, which is a payments company, uh, became a multi-billion dollar uh, software company. We have Credit Karma um, create a headquarters. We have tons of other tech companies that are starting to, to look at the Southeast as a viable option for, for talent as well as uh, building out their companies in a lower-cost market. Now, that's great, and it's great from a press release economic development lens. But, again, when we talk about what economic mobility look like, it means taking on Early investment, you know, take, it means um, it means really understanding the climate in which we operate in, and not making total assumptions based on these kind of lofty, I call them poverty porn reports. Mm -hmm. um, that I think that poverty I think porn. almost distract us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think sometimes it distracts us, and obviously I have very strong opinions about this, but I just kind of feel like we we can't keep doing more of the same. We can't keep doing this with just um, a million committees and. In, in reports and roundtables and talking about talking and meetings about meetings, I think that we have the resources, and this may be true for other cities as well, I think we have the resources to reduce inefficiencies, and sometimes we have to admit well, we're the ones that are inefficient mm -hmm. um, um, at the end of the day. Wow. So, so yeah. Well, one I want to <laughs> say, um, shout out to Credit Karma, because they keep me focused on my credit score, and they send these very <laughs> empowering emails that tell me how great I'm doing. Um, however, question about Credit Karma and other companies, some of the other ones that you named. So 
given that data that has come out about essentially what it sounds like you're saying is because I, I feel like it happens similarly here in Boston where you get all this data about how bad it is for people of color in those places, which is not not untrue, but it doesn't paint a full picture. And so Absolutely. for these companies that have come in since you've been there, have there been um do you think they're coming in with an awareness around the talent that's there? One question. And then two, maybe as you're answering that, you can, you can talk more about like what is Black Tech Charlotte and Black Tech Interactive and what are you actually doing to address these issues? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I missed that, that last part of the question. Oh, yeah, just as you're answering it. So one, just, you know, what, from your vantage point, what kind of, Knowledge or intent are are these companies that have come in since you've been there coming in with around the talent pool, um, particularly the black talent pool in Charlotte. And then in that also tell us more about Black Tech Charlotte and how you're how you're working yeah. to address it. Absolutely. So 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 companies really come in very blind, right? Some of them who are thinking about diversity and inclusion, what that looks like, um, generally from the way they're starting to recruit. You know, they have it in their minds, but the challenge is that they're not sure how to go about it, right? Because they don't want to make a misstep, number one, in terms of offending people. And then number two, they just really don't have the network, right? They don't have the network, um, you know, so so typically we get um, the average tech company, be it a startup, sort of a small startup or a, a large, very well-established brand. They reach out to us and just say, hey, you know, we have job openings or, you know, we're really looking to um, ensure that, you know, the next 50 hires are not all white guys and hoodies, right? Um, so there's some sense of intentionality. So the last six months for our team has really been, you know, identifying ways in which we can work with those companies to expose. And we have a database of about 2,000 plus black technologists, some of them entrepreneurs, some people who um, are in tech in some capacity or maybe IT. Um, and so, so our job has really been getting more information about who they are, what they're looking for, and then match them to potential job opportunities. Um, so at Black Tech Charlotte, we have been an evolving entity over the last couple of years. We really started off as a meetup. Um, I, I was working in Charlotte. I moved to Charlotte in 2014. I was working as a marketing manager at Uber. Um, went on over to Google Fiber on contract um, and just kind of worked on some sales um, as they were building out a fiber optic network um, across Charlotte. And part of the challenge was that every single event that I went to related to technology, um, it was it was very homogenous. It was either kind of I was like the only woman there or the only person of color there, and that just did not compete well for me because I I I, I do know that Charlotte is a very diverse. And I do know it's a very, it's a city of, of, of people having, you know, bachelor's and master's degrees. And so um, I, I partnered up with some friends and we said, hey, what if we just do like a meetup called Black Tech Charlotte, see who all the other black nerds are in the city mm-hmm. and ways that we can support each other and just connect. And that first event, that was in December, um, I want to say we, we thought maybe 30, 40 people might show up, um, posted it a few places, um, went and got some like two for $12 bottles of wine. <laughs> um we had like over 125 people um, RSVP that week, um, and so, so you knew there was us, a need that showed you absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And we've just been running ever since. And so we actually do have a physical location that opened um, last year, January, about 1,200 square feet. It truly is, is a black space. It, it pays homage to the black scientists and inventors. Um, 
on Saturday, we're actually going to be opening up our, our Black Business Resource Library. So we've had, um, we made a call, um, we made a call via social media. Hey, we are trying to build this resource library. Send, send, send over the book that changed your life. Mm. And thus far, I think we've gotten about 100 out of 200 books that we're looking to um, have to fill these shelves. And so it's going to be amazing for our members to get access to books like Harvard Business Review Set, to you know, books from some top entrepreneurs, uh, leaders, uh, Carla Harris, someone said to Carla Harris's book, uh, last, last week. And, um, and this week we got an influx of more kids books that are, um, telling the story of Katherine Johnson, um, and, and, and telling the story of young kids connecting with their grandparents via email. And so, mm-hmm. um, when we think of inclusivity, uh, particularly within Black Tech Charlotte, our community, it is, you know, we always say, Hey, we have our Black Tech Charlotte babies. Because a lot of our folks, you know, have families. So, you know, if they're coming to the classes, we do classes, um, four to five classes per month that we call learning labs on everything from business basics to how do you prepare for funding to how do you become an emotionally intelligent leader. Um, so when parents are in classes, we have stuff for the kids to do, specifically related to to black history and black identity. So they're coloring books on black innovators. So they're learning about, you know, Frederick Douglass as they're coloring in um, and we have games. We have games. Um, we have brain games, and so it's 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 really about holistic servitude. But at the same time, really um, really shifting that narrative. That again, you know, every single data point that is is sort of spread throughout the narrative has been about disparity. And so we're like, well, let's flip this because no, we actually we are brilliant. We've been inventors. We've been engineers. We've been storytellers. We've been um, we've been business owners. We've been taking care of our community. So how do we continue to reinforce that again um, throughout our work? Um, and so, you know, again, we have this public-facing side to Black Tech Charlotte. Um, we have this data side to Black Tech Charlotte because we are the only hub in Charlotte that specifically focuses on Black Tech talent. So um, the data we have from the 2,000 individuals that have participated or, or touched us in some kind of way, that's information that the city did not have before. Um, and that's something recently got onto the governor's entrepreneurship council. So I'm also Congratulations. working to find ways. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, so I'm working to find ways that we can create even a deeper, um, a deeper connection point to uh, what does the black tech ecosystem look like across the state? Well, how do you feel in terms of, uh, you just shared a lot about black tech Charlotte and also just kind of some of the issues that, um, that black entrepreneurs are facing and black technologists are facing in, in Charlotte. Um, how uh, do you feel like the data has played a role um, in how others, you know, are see, seeing the opportunities in Charlotte? You know, do you think um, is creating a narrative where people are starting to, you know, perk up a little bit? Maybe people are thinking about coming to Charlotte or moving to Charlotte. Um, people who are in Charlotte think there's more opportunity. Can you just share a little bit about how maybe this um, this effort, as well as maybe the data that's around this effort, has kind of um, shifted a narrative that's happening in Charlotte? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll be honest with you. I think that people look at the activity that we have going on, and they're super excited and super pumped. Number one, because it didn't exist before. Number two, because we are um, a team of Black people that are taking all of this into our own control, and we execute very well. We execute extremely well. Um, the mayor came and, and helped us open our, our first space. And, and, and I think that, again, we, we accomplished a lot in a short period of time and by accident. 
And so our growth has been tremendous and we're not afraid to call things out. And so, you know, with that said, um, you know, we're the ones kind of pushing the data, pushing the narrative. And, um, and I think that when, especially when, when black folks come to Charlotte, when they move to Charlotte, you know, I, I, it's at least two or three times per week where I get an email that says, Hey, I've been, we've been following you, me and my wife or me and my husband have been following your work. We're moving to Charlotte. We want to know how to get plugged in. Um, and that for us is very satisfactory that, um, that people want to get plugged in or, you know, the, the leaders, the tech leaders that are coming in and bringing the companies, they're always, they're always saying, Hey, you need to meet with Sherelle. You know, they've got Black Tech Charlotte. You got to do work with Black Tech Charlotte. And so I think at this point, our name and our brand speaks for itself. Um, and again, I think that it's, I don't have any empirical data. <laughs> the data girl doesn't have any data, but I don't have any, um, empirical data, um, specifically around, the, the overall imprint. But what I can say is that when I sit at tables, particularly when I'm across the table from, you know, a white guy in tech um, who's genuinely interested in, in what's happening um, from a diversity lens, and I share what we're doing, there's this level of respect that I automatically kind of see in their face. And they're like, well, how do we work with you? Um, one thing I tell people is like, if you come to my door and you think that this is a charity or you think that this is a philanthropic effort and it is about helping the poor black people at the bottom of the hill, I will tell you to kick rocks. Mm -hmm. And I've said that on panel. I've said that in rooms where I probably shouldn't have said it, but I needed people to understand that this was not about um, deficit and poverty porn, right? For us, it is, you see this talent, you want to invest in this talent. And the only way that's going to happen is if you also have it at the table. And so I, I don't take that for granted. But when I talk about narrative change and shift, um, I never refer to anybody um, that's a member of Black Tech Charlotte. I never refer to them as low income. I never refer to them as a resource. I never refer to them as at risk, what have you. Those, those are just not terminologies that I use, right? I, I talk about people as assets. Um, I talk about people as investment. Um, and I talk about people with talent. And so um, so when I get to sit in these rooms, um, you know, everything from, you know, the local city level to the corporate level to the statewide level, um, it is always from a place of asset building. And I, I sincerely appreciate that language is important. The terms we use are important. And really, um, you being in those rooms and, and just using, shifting that narrative for people will carry on. I actually don't Unless I really have to, I don't even really use the term minority. And I, I know that from a numerical standpoint, what it means, but I also know that people sometimes use it as a value um, as well, a value right. judgment. And so I'm careful. Um, a lot of times through my work, I have to say minority owned business and MBEs because people are used to that. But I try to not to if I don't have to. Um, one yeah. thing that you said, so you talked about the, the, res the respect, the access that you're starting to get for yourself and others, how is that translating into investment in, in Black entrepreneurs in Charlotte? Have you seen um, anecdotally, or if you have actually any data, um, investors, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the things I read in talking about the data gap, I think part of the issue is that when people don't understand the problems that Black people are trying to solve, then they don't invest yeah. in it. And so have, have you seen a shift in that? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Um, number one, I, and I can speak about like North Carolina locally just has a, a challenging time um, around just being very a very conservative environment. So a lot of entrepreneurs, black, white, what have you, do go to other markets. 
um, in order to raise money. So there's kind of that kind of challenge. And then if you layer on top of that, being female, being black in a very good old white boys club, right? <laughs> that has its own separate challenges. Um, again, they may or may not be unique to different cities as well. Um, but what, what we are starting to see is interest in this sort of like in- inclusivity funds. Um, so there are several investors that, you know, reach out to us. Um, you know, t- and saying, hey, listen, you know, we want to build this $10 million fund and we want to invest, you know, an X amount of entrepreneurs over the next few years. Some of these things are still um, early stages, right? Early stage funds, um, early stage attention. The South moves very slow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in some cases, it's a, it's a challenge. Um, so when it, well, out, right out the gate after we had launched Black Tech Charlotte about six months into it, partnered up with the Carolina Small Business Development Fund, which is a community development financial institution. I said, hey, you know, what can we do to provide um, microloans to entrepreneurs within our cohort? Um, and so within about, within about six months' time, we were able to launch the Black Tech Charlotte Fund. So that was just $100,000, but it was like, hey, you know, get into this pipeline, get access to, you know, a super low-cost microloan fund. Um, the, other piece, the other piece from a, a national scale, um, I think, is, is definitely this idea that Black people are only starting – businesses for black people. Mm. Um, so for me, of course I, I have, but at the same time, like my work does spread very broadly because it is very data driven. Um, but the fact that like we can create for everyone and right. it's meaningful. Right. Right. And, and that's kind of the, that's kind of the mistake a lot of um, investors make, right. Is that, Oh, well, we don't really understand like the black market. And, and I've, I've had several entrepreneurs say like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm doing something, you know, that is universal here. Um, so that's kind of one of the biases that holds people back. Um, I think the second part, again, is that data gap, right? I think that, again, if, if you and I, if all of us are kind of exhausted by all of the, the, the death and destruction stories of, of the black narrative, right. um, imagine, you know, how that translates for individuals who have very little um, experience of African-American culture, which, you know, again, differs from geography, different, differs from culture, different, differs what have you. If their only exposure is, you know, rap videos and all of these negative, you know, these negative junctures of like, oh, man, black people are not doing well in this country. And it might um, make me what feel that guilty look- about being a white person. So right, I also don't right. want to engage with it. Yeah. And then I even had like a, an entrepreneur yesterday tell me that, you know, they were working on um, some, some their fundraising and they were just saying how, you know, they'll go to some of the bigger firms, the bigger firms send them to the diversity fund. Right. And they're like, okay, yeah, of course. But the diversity firms are supposed to exist to help you get in the door and get you access, right? They're not supposed to only provide for you because you're, you're black, brown, or female, right? right? Um, so there's, there's, a, there's still a challenge. And so I think that, I think for me, especially as a storyteller and as a journalist, the more that I can do around, again, creating narratives that are about asset mapping, right? So like me and my team, we work on um, last year building out a database of black owned coworkers. Right. Um, we also did a story on the black tech conferences and why they were significant, you know, and it's like it never, never a day or a week goes by where someone's not reaching out to me about those specific databases. And we made those publicly available. So if you're doing research and maybe you're um, the head of a marketing team at like a Snapchat, well, you can find, you know, the black tech conferences if you're very serious about finding places and spaces where, you know, black people are gathering to talk about tech. 
you can easily access that database and look at what's happening across the country, um, you know, what the values are of that particular conference and how you can get plugged in. So I think for me, again, it isn't to keep telling this narrative. And even in my, even in, even in having the plug, which is my daily tech newsletter, and we do a lot of investigative black tech news. Um, as part of that, I was exhausted. I created that around the same time I created Black Tech Charlotte, but I was just exhausted with this ongoing idea that, oh, you know, there's not enough black people in tech um, and there's, you know, there's no engineers or we're missing or diversity, 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 like every single report since 2014 was it was just terrible. And I'm like, well, what the hell is there? I'm like, can y'all count anything else? You know, just the fact that we are just now having a Black-owned co-working space um, database, I'm just like, what have y'all been doing? Which you I use all the time. Also- <laughs> I, I appreciate that database. Really, I do. I refer to it a lot. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. And I think it also reflects all the challenges in whatever industry it is, right? Because we know the newsrooms are, what, 14%? you know, have maybe 14% diversity. I think Nicole Hannah-Jones um, just had a story come out in Huffington Post where she was like, you know, 80% of the newsrooms are white. Why? Wow. So when we talk about the data gap, it's because, listen, the individuals who are tasked with the skill set of taking data and turning it into narrative, I mean, if there's no one at the news desk that cares about what's happening in black and brown economics and communities, how are you going to get stories that tell our stories that aren't the sad, you know, um, you know, oh my gosh, really quick. There is this one, um, there's a, a writer, um, Mitchell Jackson. Um, he's a author, Columbia professor, and he was was supposed to be doing some talk. Um, I think it's sometime this week. And he put on his Facebook page, how for all of the individuals that were listed as being part of the speaker series, you know, everything was like, oh, this is a well-accomplished, such and such and such author, you know, here were their degrees, here were their accomplishments. When they went to, sh- to talk about his bio, it was like, you know, raised in the streets of Portland, his mother was on crack in the 80s, blah, 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 blah. It wasn't that those things weren't true, but it was like, why do you like the poverty story? Like, right. if I see one, one more of these, this kid was homeless and then went to Harvard, right. I'm going to kick somebody <laughs> because I'm just like, why, is, why, do you, why do people like to see in, in the, the black pain and suffering, the black immigrant, you know, suffering story and, and, oh, look, you know, you made it out so everyone can make it out kind of narrative. And it's like, why can't we just be brilliant? Right. Why can't we just be brilliant? Because we're brilliant. Why does it have to be a, oh, you made it through the odds because you're so, you know, disenfranchised because you're you're black or you're female. So anyway, again, I think that just going back to this idea that, you know, it's not that the data doesn't exist. It's just that we're not we're not leveraging it. Mm-hmm. We're not leveraging it in a way that um, that can help us. And at the end of the day, I think it's intellectually lazy. Um, and, and we kind of have to take ownership of you know how are we either promoting or impeding narratives that can help us see look much more dimensional in our work because that's where what investors are going to read. Right? If you have a story on you know black tech conferences you know, uh, in, in how much, you know, black people are spending on conferences annually. And that's on the cover of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or the Financial Times. That's going to be a very different kind of conversation when an entrepreneur of color walks into a room and starts talking about their business and their industry because there's going to be a, a touch point there because yeah, that data was awesome. shared. So that's, that's, my, that's my theory. 
Yeah, no, I, I want to uh, kind of switch gears slightly, I think, um, and talk a little bit more about kind of your specific story. I think particularly for the entrepreneurs in the room and someone obviously who's entrepreneurial, there's a lot of, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of um, black women, but just black people building community all over the country, whether they're through meetups, whether they're conferences, whether they're events and programs or resources. Um, but it's a journey, right? It's a struggle. <laughs> it's a journey um, for everyone. Um, I'd love to hear, given that you had... Um, or still have the plug daily, and then also Electric Charlotte, and then also the co-working space, um, and then you know just how that's all coming together. How did that build? You know, um, and it kind of was there anything that was there any kind of particular thing that occurred that was like a momentum driver for you to kind of get to that next stage? Because it looks like you've had a couple iterations of building over the years. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think it's just a life journey kind of thing. I think that for me, um, there hasn't been one answer. I think I kind of always have been chipped, chipping away at this idea of, okay, I'm, I'm in technology, I'm a technologist, I see how this com- technology has completely transformed the world. I know that we cannot, you know, tech our way out of racism and oppression as mm-hmm. people of color, but how do we help to bridge the gap to create more opportunities for ourselves? And as an entrepreneur, the idea here is that you're always building things out of thin air. So how can we leverage tech and talk about tech in a way that is about um, helping us to develop our own companies, resources, what have you, so that we're not we're no longer looking to damn tech companies for not hiring us? So I personally don't know how beneficial it is for us to shame tech companies and say, you don't hire black people. Well, those decisions are never built for us. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. So so why can't we ask bigger questions and greater questions on, well, you know, how do we resource ourselves? What kind of skill set should we be learning? You know, if you're in a house of worship and let's say, you know, I didn't necessarily grow up going to church all the time, but I know that church was a big part of, is a big part of life for a lot of black people. Um, you know, especially look over the last 10, 20 years, what is the conversation in the pulpit? You know, are we advancing, you know, you know, a, a conversation on, you know, what, what it means to be black in this country? And so I think for me, um, I just started to get frustrated with what I was seeing. I created the plug because I subscribe to all the tech newsletters. And especially if you're, you know, if you're in tech, you just need to know what's going on who's about the IPO, you know, what new technologies are coming out. Cause, cause you know, tech moves at a breakneck, a breakneck pace, but every single story was Elon Musk. Every single story was Bill Gates and Zuckerberg. And I'm just like, well, my cousins went to, you know, Morehouse and got their software engineering degrees. They've been working for, you know, X amount of software companies over the last couple of years, or my cousin, you know, was 26, but she was managing the planet GM as an engineer. Like you don't, you didn't see stories about her. And I thought she was pretty phenomenal. And so it started to make me question, what does an innovator look like? Mm-hmm. When I give talks and presentations on that question, it's like, it, it never is a black or brown person. It is always this white guy who already had privilege and had access and then created something. And now we completely follow their lead on everything, right? It is rarely anyone else. It, it's not, it's not even a white woman. <laughs> so, so I, and I, I think again, I think for me, it is, it, it we, we miss out. And so, when I started the plug, it was, well, I wonder if I can find, you know, five stories each day that, that cover, you know, black technologists, black innovators, or anything that, uh, anything within the tech space that really affects black economics. Um, and so that was, again, that was experimental. And so when that started to take off, 
you know, we started looking at, you know, how do we start to uncover and unearth really interesting, really cool stories um, that that highlight and, and talk about, you know, black innovation. And, and we do some profile stories. I think there's a lot of great profile stories and storytelling of black people in tech. But I wanted something deeper. I wanted us to ask smarter, deeper questions like, hey, you know, again, like the black co-working space, you know, or um, there's, there's another story that, you know, we're working on on like how many black tech companies are going to South by Southwest this year? You know, why is that important for them? What kind of connections are they making? Um, you know, what's happening in terms of research at HBCUs? Um, so so those things, I think, are, are, are super important. Um, I, I think that if we're going to talk about journalism and what journalism is supposed to be, it's supposed to make us think. It's supposed to make us better. And I felt like um, and the reason why I created the plug, and, and you can find the plug um, at thepluggdaily.com, um, the reason why I created it was because I wanted – I wanted Wall Street Journal level, Bloomberg level, New York Times level reporting on black innovation and black ecosystems. And so we're we're pushing we're pushing along, we're in an accelerator. we we're working on raising some some money ourselves, so that's gonna be a whole process. Um but at any event, again, I, I never intended to create any of these things. I think I wanted to just like work at L'Oreal and like move to Latin America and like get my coins and wear red bottoms. Like I had like real low level goals. So, so this this for me is a complete pivot, but it, it is also what I consider to be my life's work. And I made some sacrifices for it, but I am proud of of what we're creating. So um, we have a couple more questions for you. One, I um, I just wanted to share two thoughts I was having while you were talking and they were inspired by memes that I've seen. I get a lot of wisdom from memes on social media. Um, I think they are one of the greatest things in a minute. Actually, quick side note to my side note, every time I see a meme, particularly if I get the sense that, that a black person created because it's like related to the culture, I'm like, yeah, I wish someone was getting paid for this because this is brilliant. Like, how did they find this picture yeah. to go with these words? And I think the more that, you know, you keep doing the work that you're doing and others in and um, young black people really realize that there is like there are people that get paid to do stuff like this, like this thing you're doing for fun. Um, there's people that actually get paid to do that. But anyway, so I saw two memes today. One said, um, I wonder, since so many people are colorblind, how come there still aren't black people still aren't being hired? So that just something you said made me think of that. Yeah. And then there was also one that um, I'm not going to quote it exactly. It was kind of long, but essentially it said. While other communities were being taught to open different type of businesses, we were told, go to school, get your degree, try to work for that company. And we were taught that that's the path that you should take. Whereas other folks were like, no, be a part of this family business, you know, help us to build it, open up more stores or more nail shops or whatever, whatever that um, business is. And we were kind of given the message that really success for us would look like. Um, trying to work, trying to, you know, go up the ranks and work at these companies. So thinking about legacy and wealth, um, it's a different mindset than many of us have been brought up with. What do you think it's going to take for us to make that mental shift? And um, yeah, when you think about your own legacy that you're building, just kind of how do you, what do you envision it becoming? I think it's about having, having both conversations out loud. I come from a family that, you know, escaped poverty, you know, in Detroit, Michigan. And, you know, everyone got degrees. Everyone, you know, had 20, 30 years, such careers. 
in you know, companies, um, you know, very safe black middle class sort of environment. So me being an entrepreneur is sort of the oddball out, um, for the, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for at least a couple of years, my, my grandparents were, you know, not so quiet about asking me when I was going to get a job. <laughs> I grew up in Seattle, so um, I, I, I was part of a really great coding program called the Technology Access Foundation. So in high school, I learned to code, and then I would go work at Microsoft during the summer. So, so I really just thought, you know what, you will, you will, you know, go to, um, you know, you'll go to college, you'll come back for a college internship, and you'll just be on the fast track to being a Microsoft employee until the day you die, right? Mm-hmm. That was kind of like what what their initial dream was for me, which I deviated from greatly, just even moving to New York City. So um, I, and, and the reason why I, I share that particularly is because it's not that the advice was, was wrong. It's just the reality of what it means to grow up black and marginalized in this country, right? You kind of need to go safe route to an extent. Those things right. work, right? You have a good job. You're able to purchase a home for your family. You're able to feed your family. There's a safety in that. Um, you know, quite often, a lot of us, we don't have a net. You know, I sure don't have a net. You know, I mean, I can always go and, and stay on someone's sofa, but there's not going to be someone there that's like, hey, here's a, you know, here's a $20,000 check to start your business. Right. That definitely wasn't the case for me. I mean, I love what Felicia Hatcher always says. She's like, some people can raise a round. Some people's family, they'll just give you a round of applause. Right. <laughs> Um, and that's the reality. And the reason why I say is having conversations out loud is, you know, I, I always feel like, you know, I'm privileged that, you know, my, my family, they did what they were able to do. And then I have the freedom and the privilege to go and, and be in the world what I want to be. So I, I recognize that and try to honor them um, for that. Um, but, you know, I think I think the challenge is being that we need real conversations. Um, at my dinner table, we did not talk about money. So when I was, you know, looking at, um, you know, looking at jobs and, and interviewing and negotiating, I didn't negotiate well for my stock options. I love, I, and I tell this to, to everyone, especially when I get to speak in front of young, young students, I say, listen, you know, raise your hand. How many of y'all have, you know, family members that can talk to you about stock mm-hmm. or employee stock or investing? Those were words I had to learn, you know, the day that they started sharing them in my employee contract. There wasn't anybody I could, I had to Google, I had to try to do the best that I could, but I know that I, I left probably $20,000, $30,000 on the table at the last company I worked at. Mm-hmm. And, and I try to be very transparent about that because you talk about building wealth, and for the first time, for a lot of us, especially for, for a lot of us who you know, graduated from colleges and, and gone and, and worked for these major tech companies, I see it all the time, you know, they, they are, they are the the wealth, um, right? They're still sending money back home. You know, they, they have six-figure salaries, but they're not sitting on the bill. They have to take care of home. So having these conversations out loud is super critical, number one, for a learning perspective. Um, number two, because it, it helps us to determine what our worth is. It helps us to make critical decisions about what kind of careers we go into, how we value our education, what kind of zip codes we get into. That's why data is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things, I think all of that is tied to, to wealth and legacy. And um, and I think that my, my goal in my, in my personal life is I want to be able to be the auntie to my nieces and nephews. When they're ready to start a business, I can say, hey, I want to give you your first $10,000 right. yeah. to get off the ground. Um, and, and so that's something I'm very clear about and very adamant about. And even with Black Tech Charlotte, again, you know, we have these conversations out loud. Um, so that people can people can start to learn that language and feel comfortable. 
you know, we just got to start getting comfortable and being okay with saying, let's invest in ourselves. I don't care. Someone gave me $200 once. They were like, here's $200. I don't know what you can do with it, but this is all that I have, but I want you to have it because I know that, you know, you're going to turn it into something. Um, and, and so even if it's in those small gestures, we have to get comfortable with making investments in each other where we can and then going ahead and demanding that, hey, listen, you know, um, raising, and I'm raising money now. So it's like, yes, it's scary. <laughs> but the more that I do it, the more that I can share. Um, and I think a lot of the entrepreneurs that have raised over a couple million dollars, everyone's teaching. Everyone's teaching. I think that's the beauty of this. As hard as it is, that's the beauty of it. Everyone is going back and teaching. No, I definitely, I, I, um, I definitely feel what you're saying because I think, um, oh, I, she was just always beckoning to me <laughs> toward the mic. So I'm never talking to the mic at all. Um, but yeah, I think it, particularly if someone, you know, who's raising funds, I think it's like a, it's a whole different game. It's a whole different mindset. Um, and it really is like a black box until you're there. Um, and then you have to ask that bigger question, which is like, do I even, to your point earlier, like whose money do I need and why? Right. And that, and, and yeah. this whole idea around, Building from yourself that, you know, mentioned and building from community. One of the, the best pieces of advice I got uh, was if you don't need investor money, don't, then don't take it. Um, and so we ha- so just going back to that idea of like, you have this path in a job where you, you, know, you get this great job and you stay there till you die. And that's like kind of like the idea of like my success in many ways. And then the same thing translates, translates over into entrepreneurship, which is where it's like, you want to get, you know, white dollars to help you build your business. Right. It's still the same story. Like it's story. free money. Like, like it's you're free paying money. that money back. Right. And exactly. And times, times. And like, there's not, there's no connection there, but it just goes right. back to the idea that like, it's a white person giving us, validating who we are. Right. But there's something external about yeah. that. So I think it is a really, it doesn't mean that, you know, obviously, cause I, I am also actually going, um, for angel run, um, funds right now for C funds. So I, I think at the same time, it's like a very, what you brought up is just this really kind of internal, dialogue that I think it's great that you're having transparently and externally with folks because yeah. it's not just one solution. It's just like a discussion and a decision about what are the best options for me. Right. Yeah, it is. And that's what it is. And I think that, you know, some people are also putting your path to assist you and they may look like something that you have rallied against in your very being, yeah. <laughs> but, right, right, right. but they, they truly, they truly have resources and access, and they definitely understand what you're trying to create, and they want to make that investment. And I say, let them, definitely let them. Um, and and so I think it's very specific what we're trying to do with the plug. And you know, I, I knew early on, and I have shot the last few years, and we've had some great partnerships with um, partners like Capital One, um, and been very fortunate in that. But if I want to build a, a world class reporting team that does investigative black tech news. You know, I'm not going to get there, you know, uh, putting in a little money every month myself to ensure I can pay freelancers, right? Like, I, I need, I'm going to need some cash to, to give people full time jobs, you know, and, and, and to get the work done. So, um, so that, that, that may look like, you know, asking for assistance from a wide variety of individuals. Um, so I have to even kind of step out of my own way in that, in that case. And this might be, and so feel free not to answer this question. I just want to get, I like to get really specific on entrepreneurial journeys. I think there's a lot of fluff information out there about entrepreneurship yeah. and the fact that every everyone probably should have a side hustle and a trade. It doesn't mean everyone needs to be an entrepreneur. They're kind of different things. But yeah. um, this idea that, so for you, you've had the plug. And just, is the plug your only business? Is it what, like, pays your bills? Or is it the co-working? Um, like, that is, like, your revenue generator in, in your kind of business model. 
Yeah, no, my businesses don't pay my bills. Um, the money that I that I actually um, earn from the plug and from um, West Tech Starlet, we all of that goes back into the business. So I'm paying other people, and I am paying the expenses of the business and making the investments necessary to grow. Where I make my money is um, is on consulting. So I do consulting on the side and partnerships on the side, and that's how I sustain my livelihood. I also live in Charlotte, so um, that was <laughs> that was also very intentional. I needed my overhead to be low, right. so I needed to make sure, yeah, I needed to make sure that, like, my rent was good and cheap, and, you know, my expenses are very low. I live very minimalist, um, and, and so that way I could focus on my business and that because, you know, my rent being $1,800 a month, so... Um, but yeah, all of those work in tandem. Yeah, I love that you share <laughs> yeah. that because I think what people don't ever talk about is for anything is the actual yeah. sacrifice that's required yeah. and how how much you do things. There's a whole bunch of things that you're prepared to do and sacrifice. And there's a whole bunch of new stuff that you never thought about that you also have to sacrifice as well. And that space is really where I think you know entrepreneurship kind of lives. And I think. From what you're sharing, it's just that. It's like you're building things out of labor of love. You're using your own money. You're making something work. And then you're creating an environment where you can thrive by doing that, right? Um, and, and I think that's like a really, that's a huge challenge because people have families and different things. And they're thinking, well, I want to build a business in this context, in this environment. And what you're sharing is like, hey, I, I moved <laughs> to an environment. I created a lifestyle that could support my dream. I think that's just really incredible. I just want to say kudos to that because that's really yeah. awesome. That you're Absolutely. The reality is that I'm single and I have no kids. I have no pets. So there's just certain things I can do. I can I can make those kind of decisions. Now, if I had very different circumstances, it might my my level of entrepreneurship might look very different. Um, but yeah, no, I, I appreciate you asking that question as well. So Sherelle, we have we have I'm gonna ask you one question that one of our viewers asked, and then we're gonna ask you a wrap-up question. Um so this this is coming from Jason Tory, one of my Morehouse brothers here in Boston. Jason, I'm going to try to ask this correctly. I think I understand what you're saying, but please um, type in if you if you need to clarify. So his question is, um, should we, and specifically black folks, should we be sharing with other people, other black folks, how we're moving through these spaces? So um, the way that we're creating these systems, like should this be proprietary information or, or should we be freely sharing? I think we need to share. I think we I think we need to share and we have this capability of using social media to reach folks who normally won't have wouldn't have access to these kinds of conversations. The reality is that not everyone is going to take your information and put it to you. And that's okay, right? We can't force everyone to elevate. Um but but why wouldn't we give them tools, right? I I, I think so much about the responsibilities of the work that we do and what we represent. That's why I'm really big on mentorship, um, particularly because I, I think about the fact that my grandfather um, and his family left Birmingham, Alabama to escape Jim Crow and the sacrifices that he made and why I'm able to do what I'm doing today. And he bought me my first my first computer. Um, I think about I think about the sharing of language and just the ability to read. And we think about the fact that at one time in this country, we were not allowed to read. And the fact that we taught each other how to read in secret, why would we not continue that tradition of ensuring that everyone had what they need to be equipped in whatever spaces they're going to inhabit? Um, I think that's our duty and our responsibility. Again, everyone, um, 
everyone won't won't take um won't take your advice. Everyone is not going to move with your advice, but it never hurts me to see you excel and for you to do well. And I also just believe in giving back. People have helped me, have shaped me, have critiqued me, and that assists me every single day. And even to this day, I'm always like, listen, yeah, I'm raising money. I need assistance. You know, so how dare I, if I find someone else in the same position, not share that. Um, so um, I just, I just believe in paying it forward. I'm going to, I'm going to, there's another question that came, but I'm actually going to somewhat answer it because Sherelle and I have talked before. And so this may be, I'm just going to kind of prompt something, Sherelle, not to put work on you, but you and I did talk yeah. about this before. So his follow-up question was around how do we link between places? Like, for example, between Boston and Charlotte to share this information. And I know when we first chatted, you talked about wanting to start to organize people around the country who are building community, who are doing this work in different places, or at least, you know, link us together. Um, this is, you know, some of this is what we're trying to do through New Black City, is bringing this information to um, to the masses so that people know about what other people are doing around the country. But have you in your, um, not necessarily leading it, but are you part of any spaces where people that are doing the the kind of work that you're doing, not not necessarily tech focused, but this community building are connecting. Absolutely. Um, there's several initiatives that we're connected to, like Black Tech Mecca out of Chicago, which has done a couple of State of the Black Tech Ecosystem reports. There's Felicia Hatcher out of Miami um, with Coach Beeper and a lot of their Black Tech Week initiatives. Um, um, and uh, Nashville has some incredible talent as well. Um, there's the Hillman Accelerator, which they're actually going to be doing some recruiting in here in the Southeast, um, using Black Tech Charlotte as a, as an anchor. Um, obviously there's, um, in Atlanta, obviously there's a huge hub. So just tons of work with like Rodney Sampson, Justin Dawkins, um, you know, Barry Gibbons and Jewel, Jewel Burks, Solomon, mm -hmm. um, who sold her company to Amazon. So we're all sort of in these kind of informal groups and conversations at any given time. And we're also trying to figure out like, you know, what, how do you create a more inclusive innovation ecosystem? And so, and yeah, and of course, you know, with the work that you're doing there in Boston as well, um, you know, I think we're all kind of trying to share best practices as well as long-term sustainability, right? Because mm -hmm. when you're the entrepreneur's entrepreneur, how do you make money? You know, right. what is your business model for, for long-term sustainability? Um, you know, are you are you an LLC or are you a nonprofit? Do you have a board or do you have a fund? Um, those are all the kind of questions mm, we're trying to These are the questions through. that keep me up at night. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's no there's no correct way. Um, it's it's different depending on your climate, and so I think we're all just sharing um, kind of informally. But hopefully, you know, again, we maybe can have like a, a full database where people can kind of do a search. And see, um, and see who's doing what in their city. I was like, she is whispering, uh, whispering sweet nothings in my ear about a summit. You can already see her eyes. Like, I can't help it. Topic summit event. No, for sure. Um, oh yeah. And so we would love to um, ask our closing question that we um, yeah. for our show, which is um, in terms of leveraging data and information flow. Um, what do you think we need to do to build a new black city? Wow, that's a big question. Um, I think we need to honor the researchers and the journalists. Um, I think we need to empower um, local journalists, local news reporting, 
um, journalists of color for sure, um, ensuring that they have access to the growth and development that they need because they essentially are, are super responsible for taking these stories and, and getting them pushed out into the mainstream. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm always a proponent of journalism, uh, journalism and democracy in that, in that lens um, and the power of activism through the written word. And I think also just from the data lens, just again, you know, when we are presented, it's interrogating data, right? Asking the questions on the opposite side of the fence. You know, what's missing here? Um, you know, what did this data set look like if we were to consider these different, um, these different factors? Um, and then also looking at, you know, who are the PhD researchers and, and, and who are the urban researchers, even at your local institutions and universities that are working on diverse data sets? Um, sometimes there's some some secret projects happening and taking place that we don't know about. So I um I am just hopeful that again again there's no, no like one right approach. I just think it, it's about getting smarter at, at looking at where are untapped resources and how do we empower those resources to to help us push a different kind of narrative. Thank you. And what you said something you said was very powerful that reference to teaching each other how to read. That that really stuck out to me. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what we're doing. I mean, we've been doing it for centuries, right? Teaching each other how to read. And so um, we just continue to do that. Uh, let people know where they can continue to follow you. So where can they find out, find the plug, find Black Tech, and any other ventures uh, that you're... Absolutely. Yeah, so, um, so the plugdaily.com is where you can find the plug. We um, have a few uh, original stories per month, um, as well as where um, underscore the plug daily on Twitter and Instagram. And then Black Tech Charlotte is at blacktechinteractive.com. Um, you can follow our work there. And that's the same for Instagram as well as Twitter. And then just for myself, if you just want to engage with me, um, I'm just uh, Sherelle at SherelleNorsey.com. And all of my handles and things are connected to, to my website. So I'm always happy to engage and hear about what you all have going on. Great. And black in all of those is BLK, right? BLK, yeah. yes. All right. We'll share on our next uh, Yeah, and we'll make sure to well. share on our social. Thank you so much, Sherelle. Yes, for Thank sure. you. Yeah, Thank we'll, you. We'll Thank you. Thank you so right. much. Thank you for having this yeah. platform. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Have a good night. So I want to do a quick... Um, uh, close out the show. Um, what were your thoughts? Well, I just wanted to, is this on? Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. I wanted to, um, I didn't want to interrupt Sherelle, but I wanted to say, let's honor Black History Month. It's February. We didn't, we didn't say anything during our first show. Um, Dom and I thought about singing Lift Every Voice and Sing <laughs> at the beginning of the show, but we didn't want to do that. But as I was listening to her talk about what they are doing, um, she named a lot of black inventors and talked about like the books that people were bringing. And it just, I, I have to be honest, I've, I've never really, I kind of downplay black history month. I mean, I've mainly because I'm always celebrating black people and black history and thinking about where we come from, but listening to that was powerful and, um, thinking about how much we have laid the foundation for this country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she made this comment around, um, black people don't only in create things for black people, you know, like we just invent just like everyone else invents. And so I think honoring those folks that have really allowed us all to be here. Um, I'm sure there's something in this studio that was created by a black person. Like we do tend to, the conversation tends to be about like things people are creating for black people, but we're, we're just inventors like everyone else. 
Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I think the the thing that uh, she made me think about is this idea of being unapologetically black and how probably for like generations, hundreds of years, we were unapologetically black. Mm. And then we had this blip in time where we kind of came apologetically black. Mm. And we've been trying to get ourselves back out of that once we realized that the you know, which we already kind of knew the lie of integration, but we kind of relearned that experience and we said, oh, there's no reason to you know, apologize. Um, and we've been kind of getting ourselves out of that. So when I hear what she kind of, uh, Charles was sharing, it made me think about like, yeah, you know, New Black City, you know, we're Black History Month 12 months a year. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I think that's a really important space, but also because we are all helping each other to read you know, in a real way, this is happening all over the country. I mean, the amount of like, black podcast the amount of, like and so even though we create things for everybody we're having this moment culturally of like we need to kind of turn inward and kind of address yeah uh something within ourselves so we can kind of support everyone else i mean we're very much a communal people yeah. that's why we talk about things in senses of, of all humans and all beings we're, that's kind of intuitive to us um we're not as isolated as other cultures that have to think about our identity um but we are seeing something that says like hey maybe it is time maybe we've um we have taken on the narrative to the point to, that we have it the time on ourselves. Um, and that even if we are creating stuff for ourselves, we don't have to feel bad or be embarrassed about that either. Right. That actually, maybe we need to do that for ourselves. Because it's this whole fear of being like too black. Like if you were, you know, at a shiki and whatever, like you're too black. Right. Like what does that even mean? Right. Um, yeah, it's just something that makes you think about like, how, well, how do we, you know, not just build network. Because I think we're at the point that the narrative we're sharing, to me, is not for our sake. It's for everyone else's sake. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like as black people, we, especially in the last couple, like, five, ten years, like, we have relearned our narrative. Right. Like, as black millennials, like, we have relearned our narrative. We're not like, oh, well, can a black person be, like, smart and get, like, straight A's? Like, we don't, we're not asking that question. Like, you know what I mean? But we're kind of sharing this narrative for, like, all these other groups that are kind of impacting us. So I guess I would wonder, like, what... What are what do we need to do for ourselves? At the, what's the next level? What's the next generation mm-hmm. past storytelling mm-hmm. that helps us kind of manifest the thing that we talk about? Um, yeah, about. I think we're doing it. I mean, we outside of Black City, um, New Black City, excuse me. Dom has Black Women's Guide um, among other ventures, but that one that's particularly focused on um, increasing the. Um, net worth and income of black women. For me, honestly, through Collier Connection, it took me a while to be comfortable saying that my focus was black people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, first I would say like, oh, I want to create community for everyone, um, which, in, which I do. And then I would say, oh, I want to, I start using the term people of color. But really, if I'm um, building a business off of my experiences and my expertise, which I am, I really am talking about black people and how black people navigate Boston and other cities. And, you know, to your point of being uh, apologetically black, it took me a while to feel comfortable saying that because I would say, oh, is that marketable? Is that offensive? Um, And then I would think like I used to go to like the Jewish community center and, you know, like I hadn't I had no problem. I never felt offended. I didn't I didn't even feel like those were places I didn't belong. I just knew that that was initially who it was created for and kind of who was running it. And so. I think what we're doing here, not not just through storytelling through New Black City, but the businesses that we're building um, that will have very will, will real, excuse me, 
uh, revenue streams behind them and business models, like showing that focusing on our communities can be um, build up our communities and can be lucrative as well. And I think that, um, yeah, a lot of people are doing it around the country, including these guests that we're bringing on to the shows, um, because they're very clear that they're focused on black people. I mean, it took me, I mean, I just changed my LinkedIn like four months ago to put the black woman's side on it. I've been doing it for four years, mm. right? It was like, a, it was a real kind of it, same thing. I was like, really Dom, I can't it. hear you. Oh my gosh. Microphone. I'm so sorry with this microphone. <laughs> it just cuts off my face. It's like a hot mess. Anyway, so, but yeah, I, I didn't put the black woman's guide on my LinkedIn. I've been doing the black woman's guide for four years or almost four years now. And I didn't have it on my LinkedIn until a couple of months ago. Like I was, it was just like that same identification mm-hmm. that was, um, a little bit scary, but just to flip it on its head as we close out, um, I almost think to myself now, like, you know what? Just like that was a great example of like going to the Jewish center. Like, yeah, let white people come to the black center because so many millennials are multiracial that maybe we're not giving white people a chance to actually be different. Mm. Like maybe we're giving them so much of us mm. to meet and they don't have to move. Mm. And maybe if we start centering when, when the locus of control stops being about how they feel right. and on us, then they have no choice but to come and enter into our world. Yeah. And maybe we'll see what that looks like. Cause I don't think we're really giving white people a chance to even stretch themselves. Yeah. We, we think we are and they think they are, but really we're going to them like 99%. Yeah. And maybe if we just had a black center, a bunch of people show up right. and that'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, Find out. Um, so thank you for joining us again, our second episode. Um, next time, so just as a reminder, next week, uh, if you're listening to Boston Free Radio, this will play as a replay, and then we'll be back the following week, and we'll have Carrie uh, Cole, maybe, yeah. um, of Hella Black Brunch. I'm excited. I love anything that has to do with bringing <laughs> people together around food. Um, so she's, um, she'll be our next guest. And so I'm sure that'll be a fun conversation conversation. Also, if you're following us on social media, um, look out for our podcast link coming up on, on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, Sheena didn't like my tagline, which was stay black on the street. <laughs> Don said we needed the ending tagline and hers, she said stay black in these streets. Listen, that was my, that was my offer. Yeah. I'm actually going to, let's do this. So we have, we're getting some, some people that are following us. Um, let's put it out to our viewers, not for today, but something for y'all to think about. So New Black City is the name of the show. You know, we have kind of these standard opening and closing questions with our guests. What's a good what's a good way for us to close out the show? Like until next time, what? So we'll put it out on our social media. Maybe people can help us because stay black in these streets is not it. <laughs> I know that the show is kind of based off of New Jack City, but we're we're not in the nineties. <laughs> I was giving I was giving an option. I was coming prepared and contributing with an option. Yeah, no. To generate off of. That's all. Yeah, no. So yeah, y'all think about that. Until next time, what? And we'll we'll start closing out with that. So again, thank you all. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Have a wonderful night.